0: Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, Episode 5. Well, Nick, that is three hours of our life we won't get back.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: The Jaguars embarrass the Steelers 30-9 at Heinz Field. And I wish, I know you can vouch for me, but nobody's going to believe, but I did predict the Steelers would have three field goals in this game, but I did also predict the Jaguars would have seven points. So, Nick, we have a lot to talk about here. At the end of the day, My opinion is we just need to reset our expectations so we're not pulling our eyeballs out every week hoping for that 40-point game or even a win at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, a lot of Steelers nation is going to be freaking out after this particular game. And the reality is it's not just this game that makes me reconsider the expectations for the Steelers season. It's the sample size now that we've played five games And they culminated in this absolute nightmare joke of a football game. And now you just have sample size uh, that's large enough to see, like, hey, this team is what it is. And they're going to need to pivot, but, you know, prime Ben Roethlisberger is not going to come walking through that door slinging for 500 yards right now. And the Steelers' schedule gets way harder, way, way harder going forward. So... It's going to be rough going. Next week at the Chiefs, number one team in the NFL, the hardest stadium to play at. It's not looking great. That was a gross game.
0: I was really hoping that the season was a great setup to sort of ramp up. Uh, even though we look great on paper, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't hurt us to have a few patsies at the beginning and uh, a little bit of a challenge, obviously, in Baltimore, but that didn't turn out to be the case. Every game seemed to be a dogfight.
1: Yeah, um, the past three, maybe four years of the Steelers have been the the wait for the giant, the sleeping giant to be awoken. And the excuse for the past few years is that you can never get all the stars on the field at the same time or this or that. And this really seemed like it was going to be the year where you were going to get it done. And listen, the season's not over, but make no mistake, the Steelers have put themselves in a hole here. And this year uh, started off a little bit weird with the Ben retirement talks and the Le'Veon Bell uh, training camp holdout. Um, Regardless, I just think that, like we said before, you've kind of seen what this team is right now. Now, Tomlin teams historically get a lot better in the second half, so they can still definitely make a push. But they're going to have to form a new identity rather than the one they thought they were going to have with the air raid offense and all that.
0: Well, speaking of identity, I mean, there are no injury There are no critical injuries right now. Maybe. Um,
1: I no excuses. Yeah, no excuses. Knock on wood. They keep that health. They're going to need it. But either way, let's move into the three themes of the game, and we'll start with the obvious and the one that everyone wants to talk about. Except the him. nightmare game for Big Ben. His five picks doomed the Steelers, and honestly, it kind of affects the rest of our evaluation because it's hard to judge the coaching staff and their schemes and some of the other players um, when your quarterback kind of gives away free points like that. Now, we're going to go more in-depth with Ben. We're even going to talk about each interception individually once we get to the positional grades, but I will say that upon watching the film, watching the offense a couple more times, I've seen the game probably about... Three and a half, four times now. It's not as horrific as it seemed in the moment. And five interceptions is five interceptions. And he didn't play great, but he did do some things pretty well. And some of those interceptions were unlucky, you know. And but that's going to happen in football. And you have to make the requisite plays on the other end to balance those things out. So really, I don't know if a team's ever won a game in which they've thrown multiple pick sixes and five interceptions in a game so that's the big obvious theme number one for the game why don't you hit us with number two
0: before we go there I'd like the corollary I'm not sure where I cringed more the five interceptions of the post-game interview that was really uncomfortable
1: <laughs> well it, it, it is a little bit annoying and I know the media has a job to do and they want to do more TMZ related things than sports analysis I understand you gotta you gotta you gotta appeal to the mass audience well I the gotcha. mass audience
0: there, there's nothing in those post-game interviews I, I don't blame them at all who, who isn't incredibly frustrated you just got no information so I think in, in the future I'll uh, avoid that post-game yeah, interview same
1: but it but it's difficult when you're trying to go through a media blackout and work out and uh, cry yourself back into sanity after this game and you see an article Ben Roethlisberger colon maybe I just don't have it anymore They want to make every news outlet, the front page of NFL.com, the front page of ESPN.com, they want to make it look like he made this statement, this bold, singular statement. You rewatch the video of him, and he's really being sarcastic when he says it. Uh, Well, we're going to jump
0: on that, bang. We'll have our own analysis at the end of the podcast, but let's go into theme number two. This offense is a paper tiger, and if you don't know what paper tiger is, Google it. It means it looks great on paper. But this has not turned out to be the high production juggernaut we would have predicted, especially when what do we have one injury for um on the offensive line, but nothing significant.
1: Yeah, and it's not gonna change. Now, I do think I believe that this offense can become effective because number one, you have the best running back in the game. Now there are some major problems with the offensive line right now that we didn't anticipate having, but I think you can get that stuff together. You even showed that against Baltimore. It wasn't a hugely efficient way to run the ball, but it was effective. And Ben Roethlisberger, listen, it's not prime, Ben, no. But he's also not Eli Manning or Phillip Rivers right now. When if you watch them, they, they got spaghetti arm. They got spaghetti arm syndrome. They can't throw it. Phillip Rivers got 16 kids at home. Ben's only got the three. There's probably something to that. I don't know how many Eli has. He's probably got at least four, right? I don't think so. That's highly inaccurate. But regardless, Ben still has the physical tools to make it happen. I don't know what the deal is with the mental. Uh, they're going to have to pivot to get a lot better, but listen, it's not going to be five wide and spread. We've waited for five weeks, but it's not going to happen. they got to change their identity.
0: So, theme number three, defense. The motto seems to be, bend until you break. I think this, we'll analyze the defense in more detail later, but you know, on paper there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of things pointing north, but yep. that fourth quarter is just a backbreaker.
1: They they are the first through third quarter specialists. Those guys, beasts. Just make sure you put out a high school quarterback out there, and really uh, any type of running back will do. We'll stuff them for the first three quarters, and when it comes to the fourth quarter, we'll just ruin the game for the Steelers.
0: They look like a bunch of six six year old soccer players on the field, all chasing the ball at the same time while. That one coach's son ran around the edge to score goal after goal.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. it really is interesting, though, in all seriousness here, that Dick LeBeau employed the bend-but-don't-break type of defense, whereas Butler employs the bend-until-you-break, as you pointed out earlier. These fourth quarters and overtimes, as it was in the Bears game, are killing the Steelers because, listen, we all know that this bad start for the Steelers season. It's on the offense, but when you let a team have scoring drives from their two yard line and from their four yard line, wearing out over eight minutes of clock time over half a quarter on one drive. Come on, man. It's basic. It's basic. So defense, I think is a little bit of an illusion as well. I think there's some talent there, but I don't think it's as good as people think it is. I think they're going to struggle against Alex Smith 2.0 this week. So, Bend until you break. Let's hope they can fix that.
0: So we have a segment we like to call five crucial plays or five cool plays. We still haven't uh, made a definitive decision. Is that redundant? Because none of these things – well, actually, there are only a couple pivot points in the game, but it was sort of clear from the beginning the Steelers were going to be in trouble. So it was so heartening to see the opening 49-yard pass to A.B. And he he is just – he's a – ballerina what's a male ballerina
1: we tried this last time and i
0: realized that i don't know the guy's name so barishnikov but i meant what's the term for a male ballerina do they call them ballerinas Ballerino.
1: ballerino it's a ballerino it was but either way antonio the ballerino number one that uh and we want to say plays that maybe some of these plays maybe go under the radar and they're more significant of trends that are emerging or improvement or a slight play that changed the game that you might not realize and and some of them we just we're going to call out the obvious ones i do like that one as the first play because the steelers have had such difficulty completing a deep pass recently and on the first play of the game they went deep on pretty much the nfl's best corner who did have a really great day and uh, an amazing player antonio brown made a great play in the ball again it It was not an excellent throw from Ben. The AP had a few steps on him, but it was great to see that they actually completed one and he put it in range for his receiver. So that first play was cool. The second play, uh, actually the second and third play, we're going to say you just can't have a show without talking about the pick six followed by the other pick six. Those were bad. The first one, If you watch the replay and SteelersDepot.com, they break down a lot of plays. They give you cool gifs or gifs, as Dave Bryan would say, um, of these plays, and they'll slow things down and they give you a really great view of just exactly what that tip did to send the ball right to the linebacker, Telvin Smith, Um, and he returned for a touchdown. And the second one, you know, bent through a little bit high. And they, uh, Barry Church returned it for a touchdown. There seemed to be a little bit of lackluster effort on the second return for a touchdown from some of the skill positions, but we'll get into that later. Those basically, that's the game though, the two pick sixes. Blake Bortles completed eight passes and they win the game because they didn't have to score any points. The Steelers did it for them.
0: Well, I think indemnity of uh, what we were talking about before, the defense collapsing in the fourth quarter, the Jags were bottled up within the five-yard line twice in the fourth quarter, and both drives yielded a field, yielded a score and a field goal and a touchdown pass. And that uh, obviously that second, that second drive uh, entailed the 90-yard C-gap run for a, for a touchdown by Fournette. So that uh, is a great illustration of what we were talking about in the fourth quarter. I just wanted to mention that first, that first uh, opening 49-yard pass, that drive, seemed yeah. to be a harbinger of things to come when we sort of easily got down the field but were unable to score a touchdown in the red zone.
1: Right, and we'll get more into that within the, the offensive section of the grades. But as far as those two long drives, and I think it was a touchdown run. I don't think it was a pass. But Did I call else? it a pass? Yeah, uh, to
0: to have so a touchdown nervous.
1: pass, you would need to complete usually more than eight. But uh, the Steelers don't even need to give up touchdown passes to lose games, which is really a feat unto itself. And th- we know that those aren't plays, but on one of uh, those two long Jaguars drives, there was obviously a 90-yard run. That's pretty significant because that is now a fundamental truth about this year's Steelers defense. They give up long runs. They give them up every game. And... It's going to keep happening, and I guarantee you're going to see it more throughout the course of the season. Hopefully, they'll wrap it up, but you're not going to get rid of that anytime soon, and you're about to play Kareem Hunt. And then another play from those drives would be, I think, Chris Ivory hit a 19-yarder just to get them out of the back of their end zone. It seems like whenever teams are backed up towards their own end zone, Butler brings the house, and they inevitably escape said end zone. So that's a little frustrating.
0: Okay, now we're going to go into the positional grades. Uh, Nick, you'll take it. We'll start with the offense.
1: So overall, this offense is a miserable failure this entire year. We're going to give them not an F for this game, but we will give them a generous D. Because, listen, you put nine points on the board, you don't score a freaking touchdown. And you can't think of anything except for F, especially given how much talent there is here. But really, like we said before, The pick sixes from Ben and the just the avalanche of interceptions makes it kind of difficult to judge the entire team. Uh, I will say that the Steelers did have some success, sometimes consistent, sometimes random, at moving the ball in between the 20s. So that's why we give them the D instead of the F. But listen, there are some fundamental truths about this offense. Number one, the run game is crap. The offensive line has regressed tremendously. They can't open up holes. David DeCastro was miserable this game. He was he was, like Magellan's first voyage that they don't talk about, where he didn't find anything. He just pulls around the side and kind of looks for a guy and hits nobody, which is weird to see because he's such a fantastic puller, and he's been great at it this year. He got knocked over by a cornerback at one point. I think that's pretty much when you got to hang it up. Um, they don't open up holes for Le'Veon Bell, and Le'Veon – I'm confident saying he's been the same back this year that he always is, but he's just getting bum-rushed. And other teams, particularly ones with very good front sevens, like the Jaguars, seem to have figured out our running philosophy a little bit more. Um, Number two, the pass game is crap. We've already talked about that. Right now, these receivers can't get in sync with Ben. Um, Marty and Ben can't get in sync at all. And obviously, Ben, we need to switch the way that we game plan him and put him out there because sticking them in the shotgun five wide and throwing 55 times a game, it's just no longer within the realm of possibility. An interesting stat about that is regards John Elway and his last year. So my theory for the Steelers to be able to turn it around, and I'm sure a popular theory at that is we need to turn him into somewhere in between last year, John Elway and last year Peyton Manning last year. Peyton Manning was a horrific train wreck and the worst quarterback in the league. Whereas last year, John Elway, just he was a good quarterback, but no longer the focal point of the team when they got Terrell Davis. He never eclipsed 36 throws in a game. And that 36 actually came in the AFC Championship game where he beat the Steelmen, unfortunately. But we need to, like I said, shift the identity of this because Ben is no longer the prime star QB that he once was. But he's also not the noodle-armed Brainiac man Peyton Manning. So, those are truths, and th- those are not going to change if they keep running into a brick wall like they are. They need to change the philosophy. The play calling lacks creativity. I do like some of the insertion of some of the of the shovel passes and stuff like that, but man, it's just some of the running on. It's deep throw on second on first down, miss the deep throw, hand it off to Le'Veon Bell with no fullback and uh, lose a yard. And then get a third and long.
0: Yeah, I think looking at the red zone percentage, zero for three.
1: That's the big one,
0: and not even challenging to score. Besides it's almost, it's almost inter- like it's almost like it's almost like you're waiting for the kicker to miss.
1: <laughs> right. Well, luckily we got the wizard Boz out there. You
0: didn't so live through Roy Sorry.
1: Well, regardless, the the other biggest theme that people won't be talking about quite as much, uh, at least in national media of the game, is the red zone offense and how crap it is and how horrific the play calling is down there and how bad Ben's execution is. And we don't really know what he's checking into and, and out of, but a lot of teams have success in the red zone when they have either a power run game. Um, a creative play calling set or a quarterback like a young Ben Roethlisberger who can just buy time in the pocket and eventually get a guy free. Uh, We don't have that anymore. So 0 for 3 in the red zone. If you even scored one time in the red zone, one time, it would have maybe forced the Jaguars to play a little bit of catch up. Maybe have to actually pass the ball. And if the Steelers get Blake Bortles passing, that would be a a favorable way to go about it. But couldn't even score a single touchdown in the red zone. Horrible offense gets a D.
0: Well, let's say you can't avoid uh, at this point talking about the quarterback, and he's so integral to the whole the whole effort. E- the machine. Yeah. Sorry, he's the emperor. Built around him. So we gave Ben a D plus. I mean, if you we- look at the at the entirety of the game, he had some nice big throws, and uh, he he did get the ball into some tight windows. He led the he led the team down the field on a number of occasions, um, especially in the first half, where we we were moving the ball pretty well between the twenty-five and the twenty. But then uh things turned difficult.
1: Yeah, it got pretty bad there. And interestingly enough, when the Steelers got the ball back with like a minute twenty or a minute forty in the in the first half, they'd only run twenty-one offensive plays. The Jaguars, even though they weren't crushing the Steelers on offense, they were running the ball well and they were milking the clock and that's what the Jaguars want to do. Get the ball out of Blake Bortles' hands and try and milk the clock and and play that run game big-time defense formula that's worked well for so many teams. Now, from an emotional standpoint, I want to say yesterday I handled myself well outwardly. But listen, to me... There is almost no greater stealer than Ben Roethlisberger and everything that he's been able to accomplish for the team. And it's depressing. I felt bad for the guy having the day he had. We're about to go over his interceptions. They weren't all his fault, but he is—he uh, was not good yesterday. You, you can't defend him. And this isn't just one game. There, he's been subpar. He's been pretty subpar all season, although I do think he's doing some things well and some things better. But it's just... It's sad to see that happen to a guy who's such a star and who seems to still have physical ability, but I just don't think that he can roll over in the bed and light up that Marlboro and put on the cowboy hat and some flip-flops and trot back on the field and make miracles anymore. So, Well, I'd like to point out he,
0: he did have a difficult day, but in recent years, he has been getting trapped in the backfield more than you would have liked, but it's not happening this year where he's holding onto the ball too long even though we're going to make the argument the offensive line has degraded, he's, he seems to be getting rid... He either has just enough time or he's getting rid of the ball. Now, maybe that's a result... That, that has something to do with the interceptions, but for five games, um, he hasn't really gotten trapped back there.
1: Right, and, and there are times when he holds on a little long, but you're right. He has, uh, like so many things in his career, he has been able to evolve and learn how to get the ball out a little bit quicker. And listen, it used to be he would make magic by running outside of the pocket, reversing his field, and running across the field a bunch of times and making huge play. Then later in his career, it moved more towards a Dan Marino, uh, Tom Brady on steroids kind of shuffling in the pocket to make time. And still his best plays this year have come from that shuffling the pocket. Like, let's say last week's touchdown to Juju against the Ravens, where he just he held out. He knows he's going to get hit. But, you know, sometimes that that it doesn't work out for you. And like I said, watching the game again, it wasn't as bad as it seems. This whole thing about maybe I don't have it anymore, the media wanting to blow that up. It's a bunch of crap. But listen, he's not in the prime. It's not going to happen, but he still can be a very effective quarterback. So I'd like to take time right now, real quick, let's go over the interceptions, all five. So he was at varying degrees of fault for this. The first one. Here is your answer for why James Conner does not play that much. James Conner just matadors. I think it was it was Telvin Smith. It might have been Jack, but either way, it was there. Yeah, that's what he did. You could hear it on the telecast. But he, there's a streaking linebacker running as fast as he possibly can, straight up Ben, and Conner doesn't even make make a connection with him. And Ben sees the guy coming, stares into the to the barrel of the gun right there and gets walloped and tries to squeeze a throw in to McDonald. Um, I'm sure that getting hit like that is going to take some mileage off of the ball. So it's going to make it easier to intercept. Um, Maybe it was an ill-advised decision anyway, because listen, you got the best corner in the league covering a tight end who hasn't caught a ball yet, but James Conner didn't help the issue. So that's interception. Number one, interception number two, this is the tip from the D lineman. Again, A.B. was running a slant, and on that play, you're going to read the outside linebacker. So the linebacker is either going to go to the outside where they have, I believe it was Le'Veon Bell, going out to the flat, or he's going to stay to the inside to cover the slant area. If he stays to the inside, you got to throw to the running back, who in this particular play was actually chipping, so he wasn't even quite out there yet. but. He started moving a little bit to the outside. Do I know if Ben would have completed this pass if it hadn't been tipped? We don't know. But when you watch the slow motion replay of that. Seven times. Seven or 20. But at the same time, like I said before, there's a great one on SteelersDepot.com. That tip caused that interception. And hey, that happens. But I don't know if he would have completed it or not. But regardless, the decision wasn't horrendous the tip resulted in the interception number three third and long this was this was one of the bad interceptions in my opinion he goes for the chains i think it was like third and 18 almost and he throws up a skinny post basically to ab he's got a bunch of guys around him but he has great body position where jalen ramsey is is like at ab's back so he wouldn't have been able to go through him to make an interception uh, but Ben throws it way too high and it does go through a B's hands a little bit, but you know, Jalen Ramsey is all over it. If Ben kept that a foot lower, it would have been a really impressive completion that big time arm quarterbacks make. So that one definitely on him. Number four, fourth interception again, third and long. So it's what you got to like about Ben is he goes for it on third and long, but it's been getting us in trouble so far this year. And the rest of the offense, including Ben, have been getting themselves in these situations with the third and long, which to me, again, huge theme of the year. Were you going to say something?
0: No. No. Nope. Like were- I'm just studying.
1: Aaron. Yeah, right? Because this stuff, you, could, you can go to the ends of the earth with this. But this is the one where Juju falls on the timing route. Now, Juju is running kind of, he did a little shake and bake sort of uh, going up the seam. looks like he's just going to run a seam route. And... Ben expects him to be somewhere, and he falls down, and the ball goes directly to the safety. Now, it would have been tight coverage, but listen, the guy fell down in the rain, and it goes right to the safety. So I, that's an unfortunate play as well. And number five, interception number five, I would like to note was after a beautiful vintage Ben-to-A-B touchdown pass where Ben stepped up in the pocket and hit A-B for what would have been almost AB's 200th yard of the day and a touchdown. But it looks like Juju ran the same route as AB. They were both running just straight-go routes, and he dragged his man right into the way of AB, and his man made the pick. So I think Juju had a real good game in in some ways, but still makes some rookie mistakes in others because it looks like he drew his guy right into where AB was at. So, so it's
0: hard to throw five interceptions, and I, I think you explained some of those away very nicely. But um, we left Ben with a D, uh, D plus on that game.
1: Yeah, because uh, there he was generally inaccurate. Listen, he made some good throws down the seam during the game. Like I said, it's not as bad as you as the newspapers or websites are going to make it want to look. The sky is not falling. He's not totally useless, but the but this guy is falling a little bit because he's not what he once was. And it's not
0: the clouds yeah, are coming it's in. It's raining. It's raining. So let's move on to the running backs. And by running backs, we mean Le'Veon. Yep. Le'Veon's still trying to make, he's still making things out of nothing. And he had a, uh, did not have a magnificent yards per rush, but he did not get a lot of help from the O-line, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We're giving him a C-plus just for lack of portfolio in this game. He did some nice blocking. Uh, and I, I think he made, yep. he, he knifed up, especially in the first, the, the first series, he had some nice runs. But it is really hard to tell whether it's him the system or the offensive line. Uh, We can conjecture whether people are starting to figure out Le'Veon's waiting game behind the line, but I tend to think that it's more like he's got to have some kind of opening and he's not getting it from the line.
1: Yeah, he's getting ambushed. Uh, He did kind of quietly get to 25 total touches. He only had 15 carries, but he had a, a strange little 10 catches for 46 yards. But regardless... He was ambushed the whole day. On the couple times he had a hole, he made it happen. And a lot of times when he didn't have a, hole, have a hole, he at least got a couple yards out of it. It's just really hard to judge Le'Veon. I can only judge him off of what he does in a, with a little bit more space and getting yards in instances when there's guys on him and falling forward. And to me, he looks like the same guy. He's only, you know, only gets 15 carries. You could say that's situational or not, but. I think uh, the last time he got sent, uh, 15 carries was against Chicago. So we saw how well that worked out. We're going to give Le'Veon a B.
0: So the one bright shining ray of uh, sunshine is A-B. Obviously, another week with an A+. His mom's starting to call us asking if he can get extra credit because there's just nowhere else for this to go, guy to go. You saw this catches; he's, he's still almost college open on half of the receptions he had. So he's, he's finding seams, and he's finding a way to catch the ball.
1: Yeah, we're not going to nitpick with this. He gets an A-plus, uh, 10 receptions on 19 targets. Sometimes I do feel like, I mean, it would be great if Ben could read the field, but it works out okay when he throws to A-B. You can be nitpicky and find some things that maybe he didn't do so great. Maybe he could have caught that ball that got intercepted on the second, on the third interception. But really, he's the only player in the Steelers right now who you can categorize as having a good season. We're going to move on from A-B. A-B gets an A-plus.
0: So moving into the wide receivers at large. Uh Martavius Bryant had another nice jumping catch. He yep. had some solid blocking, which is was hopeful. He also had the uh how many yards did he have on that reverse?
1: 13, it was I think it was thirteen yard reverse.
0: Yeah, that seems it seems to be a, a judicious use of the reverse. He's run two this season. I think Hay Bay had one last game. Juju had some great catches. He is proving why Eli is on the bench right now. So Good blocking. He's had some nice nice catches in traffic.
1: Yeah, they, they did okay for themselves. Now, I will say on the bad side, there was another deep pass that we haven't talked about where Ben missed Marty. Ben was throwing back from his own four or five-yard line. And it's just hard to tell with some of these things whether the throw was off or the receiver is off. But I will say this. You need to create separation as a wide receiver for yourself on a go route by kind of bending your defender inside, but you need to come back outside to the sideline. And the quarterback's job is to keep the ball on your outside shoulder and ahead of you so it can't be intercepted. And Marty was uh, pretty far to the inside on that one. So when you have the kind of speed he has and the time that the ball spends in the air on those big passes like that, I'd like to see him be able to track those a little bit better. So that one was a little bit weird. I got to put that one on Marty. And then Juju we kind of mentioned before he slipped on the interception and then he dragged his man onto ABN to the other interception. We're not going to put those squarely on Juju, but he didn't help with those. He's making some big time blocking plays. That's the reason why you're seeing these screens start to work a little bit more now is because he he's holding a little bit less, but he likes he loves to get in there and he's turning his man in the right direction and opening it up for them. I will say that after we watched the game, I felt, you know, the Steelers have made a great decision with not having Eli out there because Juju's doing a lot of great stuff and he's adding some elements that Eli doesn't have. But after rewatching, you do realize that you had a guy in Eli who can really run across the middle of the field, especially on those little drag routes and get some yardage, who was really improving and you kind of made the decision to just start over by going with Juju. I don't know if there's enough room for everybody on the field, but to me it's pretty much useless having Justin Hunter play when you don't even need him, and there's a guy who can make a lot of plays for you and Eli, so hopefully he gets back on the field.
0: I just want to get one thing off my chest. As you pointed out earlier in the season, Martavis now has – Thirty-three inch biceps, he weighs three hundred and ten pounds, and he's actually faster than he used to be. How come he is so easily ankle tackled? He's gotta break free from some of those.
1: Yeah, he's broken a couple this year, but uh today or yesterday I guess it he wasn't able to do it. So I don't know. They need to find better ways to get him the ball. Him and Ben need to get on the same page. But I digress. That's what we think of the receivers. Why don't we move on to the O-line, who are not taking much blame for this, as Ben takes all the blame, but secretly they are having themselves a pretty terrible season so far.
0: Well, as they say, you know it's a good offensive line when you never read anything about them. Uh, We need to start reading more about them because I think they they protected Ben fairly well. Uh, I think they only gave up two sacks. But the run blocking is atrocious. It's not even existent. Yeah. Uh, Villanueva uh, has regressed. Who, he I has. mean, he he is uh, and and Hubbard is not pulling his weight as he, got, he s- at the Villanueva
1: got swim moved by like Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell's an amazing player, but he's like three hundred and ninety pounds. You don't get like speed moved by that guy. Both tackles really struggle in pass protection. Hubbard's given up at least a sack every game that he's played. This run blocking is atrocious. The holes are not there. you got to put some of this on Haley, too, or maybe Munchak because it looks like these other teams have figured out the Steelers' sweep strategy and all the little pulls and stuff they like to do, And especially a team with a great front seven like these guys have. So this O-line is kind of pulling a bend where you thought you had one thing going into the season, and it turns out it's something else entirely. We're giving them a D. I think that they were lucky that they only gave up two sacks and they couldn't do anything in the run game. 3.1 average for the best back in the league.
0: Well, let me just ring the bell that you rang at the beginning of the show that DeCastro must have a stomach bug or diphtheria or something because that was uncharacteristically poor.
1: Well, you remember the touchdown that got called back, the nice touchdown to A, B. Yeah. And you're, Hey, listen, that makes it a one-score game. And it would have been difficult for them to win at that point. But they definitely could have done it. Uh, he is the one who had the holding call there, uh, which allowed Ben to step up with the pocket and make the throw. But he only had the holding because he completely whiffed on the pass block in the first place. All he had to do was hold that guy for a couple seconds, and you had A.B. who beat his man on single coverage in the end zone. you think that Ben was going to make that play. And the play before that, he whiffed as well. So, not only was his run blocking in his pole game not where it usually is, but his pass blocking was bad. Uh, let's look for him to bounce back next week because he's he's been solid this year, but that was brutal.
0: So we're giving the offensive line a D as David or damn.
1: Damn, that was bad.
0: So move on to the tight ends.
1: Not much to say here. Speaking of D we're going to give that to the tight ends too. They helped the defense. They're a non-factor. They're a non-factor in the past game. Jesse who who was out there kind of pulling or out there in space a lot with with uh, his friend DeCastro was useless. He just he's gumby. He just runs around, doesn't hit anybody. He's not helping in the in that run blocking game. Uh, and then Vance again, you could be nitpicky, but he didn't really fight for that ball as much as you'd like to see on the, in the first interception of the game. So the Steelers' tight ends are, are useless. Uh, they don't run block particularly well, and they definitely don't make big plays downfield. As much as you want to talk about how Jesse's improved, I mean, it took him from a mediocre tight end to a sort of acceptable tight end.
0: So we gave the, as we mentioned it earlier, we gave the, the offense a D, and now we're going to move into the coaching staff. To break things up a little bit, Mike Tomlin.
1: It's kind of hard to get a read on him. To be honest with you, uh, I think that he knew what the Jaguars wanted to do, and he designed a game plan that would make Blake Bortles throw. It just ended up collapsing on itself because of the pick sixes. They didn't even the Jaguars didn't really have to be on offense very often, and then the defense collapsing in the last part of the game. But whatever they were the Steelers were doing in the first half was working pretty well. Uh, they only had about 3.5 yards of carry on the rush, and they were really bottling it up. Um, also, you know, they pointed out a lot that the Jaguars like to play single high coverage, which is one safety in the middle. And they like to man a man on the outsides and they have the personnel to do it. But traditionally the Steelers don't care because you have AB and Marty and Ben, and you think you can take advantage of that. Now you would have liked to see the Steelers pivot when they realized that is not the case at this point in time. But like I said before, it's just too hard to judge with the five interception game As far as um, giving him a real grade. But you can't forget to mention another loss to a subpar team. Now, I think the Jaguars, they have an excellent, probably top five defense in the league. But, you know, their offense is putrid.
0: When you score nine points, that doesn't really seem to indicate the offenses or the defenses. So... It is hard to grade the head coach. I'm not sure what his role is versus the offense and defensive coordinators, but let's get into Todd Haley's grade. We gave him well, a D.
1: We gave Mike, let's just give Mike the Sorry. C minus. I don't think we had given him the grade, but yeah, Todd Haley, D. This is getting getting bad with him. It's not on his fault. Again, quarterback throws five picks. It's kind of hard to judge the guy, but his day in the red zone was atrocious. At one point, his receivers on that third down, Pass on the double move to AB in the end zone. I don't know what that is supposed to be. The receivers were Jesse James, Le'Veon Bell, and AB. No Martavis Bryant. No six-four alien Martavis Bryant. But you put those guys in. Three straight passes on one of the drives. Just no creativity. Like multiple screens and slants in a row. Running five wide there. Terrible. He doesn't. Get Le'Veon to 20 carries. In my opinion, that's going to be a rule for the rest of the season. If Le'Veon doesn't get to 25 touches with 20 carries, the Steelers are not going to win.
0: Yeah, it's 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 curious that the game was still winnable even into the fourth quarter. It was um, Mm -hmm. within 14 points. It might have been a tough win, but it seemed as though the run game was abandoned. And even though Le'Veon wasn't, I mean, he had a uh, low yards per carry. I just think Le'Veon is a guy who needs to keep getting fed. And sooner or later, the defense gets tired, and that's when he starts to increase his production. He never got to see that kind of daylight.
1: Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, again, the interceptions put you in the hole, especially when the interceptions yielded points, and then you had to play catch-up. You know, you couldn't afford to go three and out or, or try and wear the other team down because they have a running offense of their own, and they could wear the clock down. So, But it the was was, but but but
0: wasn't, wasn't that far out of hand, even with the interceptions until the fourth quarter. And right. We get, well, we happened, no it happened six
1: minutes left in the third and they happened right back to back. So it is kind of hard. But but you're right. I mean, the third game order you had other you had time before You had the first, second and most of the third to do it. And it's just you. I feel like you see these guys in practice all the time and you've already had four games to look at them. You should realize from the beginning of this game against that amazing pass defense. Nonetheless, you don't have an air raid offense. You need to do what you did against Buffalo last year, what you did against Kansas City in the playoffs. So hopefully this is the wake-up call they need and they're able to pivot and and get some sort of running game going because even if he did call more runs, we don't know if that's really a fix or not because the line didn't block for crap and they couldn't get any holes. But the fact that you don't try and leverage the best player on your team outside of AB, you know, that's a big mistake. But really, to me, it's the red zone stuff. But it's ridiculous, cute, all the crap he does in the red zone. It's weird play calling. Well, let's so. move
0: on to the defensive coordinator. And mostly, most of the commentary will come when we talk about the defense. But Keith Butler, uh, I had him down as a D. But I guess I, since I rated the defense a C, we'll give Butler a C. I mean, the, the defense I used, uh, maybe not dominant, but was in control most of the game. Um, there's obviously the collapse in the fourth quarter that we need to talk about but it is a real enigma for me because they you know the interceptions kind of, as you mentioned before threw off so much of the analysis who who's responsible for what but i thought the defense yeah. did a good job most of the game if you look at their statistics they did. um in you know league wide this defense is best in um, in the number of scoring drives per game at 25% did I say that right? Do you understand what I just yeah, said? Yeah, understood. Um, but yards know. per play, third in the league in the yards per play at four point five. Where they where they need to look at is um, they're great in passing yards against, but obviously we haven't been playing against Sammy Bow mm,
1: Old gunslinger, leather so
0: helmet. Gunslinger, yeah, yeah
1: right, but.
0: Right. Um, the defense I thought played well: two sacks, five quarterback hits, and four tackles for losses. So,
1: interception by Shazier, another game-changing play by Shazier. That was pretty cool,
0: right? The interception.
1: Yeah, the whatever that was. That it was. The, the, yeah.
0: <laughs> I have a hard time ball. interpreting right, that. Right. Yes, he tore the ball out of that little tools. Well, hands.
1: again, I'd like to say that this is the game where you can officially, officially, officially double secret, negative, positive, officially say that these are trends now. And the fact that this defense falls apart every fourth quarter is there's a large enough sample size to determine that there's something you're doing wrong as a defensive coordinator, not just as defensive players. It seems like whenever the Steelers get an opponent backed up into their own ten within their own ten yard line, he brings the all out blitz and all it takes is one little crease in these running backs, whether it's Tariq Cohen a couple weeks ago or the 90 yard run from Fournette this week, they if they can just get through that one crease, they go for a touchdown. Now instead of switching his theory, he does it over and over again. Which is down. an interesting to do it. But the defense has I don't even think you can call this team uh, as having a situation where the offense is just consistently letting the defense down. Now they are, but the defense doesn't have to do anything because not only have they not played, they've played five poor quarterbacks. They they might've played the five worst quarterbacks in the whole league. Flacco has been miserable. I mean, with a broken back, he set the record for worst game by an NFL quarterback in the history of the statistic of QBR the week before the Steelers played him. They also played Case Keenum to Kaiser, who just got benched for Kevin Hogan. They played Glennon, who just got benched for a rookie. And now they played this guy, Sucky Bortles, who, so eight be,
0: who no doubt will be benched this week.
1: So, so they... Blake Bortles didn't even throw for 100 yards. Glennon threw for 101 yards. You lose both of those games. So you're playing these crap quarterbacks. You know the other team is going to run every time, and you still can't stop them.
0: Yeah, and it's you have- crazy. You, you look at the – they actually held um, the Jaguars the three under four yards per run except for that 90-yard run, which, which totally skews right. the actual average. Interestingly, where we've been getting burned in that C-gap, over this game, there were 17 rushes up the middle in the B gap for 62 yards. We seem to be vulnerable once they get to the second level. I mean, I, I actually, we're going to move into the defensive line, but I think they did fine, generally speaking. Somehow between the linebackers and the cornerbacks, we're not stopping the runners at the second level.
1: Right, and the defense was, imp- I guess you could say impressive, <laughs> the whole first part of the game. But when you know they're going to run every play, you would kind of expect that. You hope that's the least they can do. But they did do a good job. But when they collapse every fourth quarter, how else do you – they did it against Minnesota too. They let up touchdown drives at the end of the game. How else did you judge that? That's like if a, if an offense scores 30 points every like first or third quarter of every game and then throws three interceptions in the end of every game. You wouldn't call them a good offense. You would call them Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, there's
0: more Mr. Hyde yeah. than Jekyll. And I, I guess it did, in the collapse in the fourth quarter, I'm not sure how much uh, impact that had on the final on the final score. But it is troubling. This, this is and, and as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, that we used to be bending on break and we it used to drive us crazy to have a team drive down into the red zone. But generally, they came out with a field goal or less. And now right. that doesn't seem to be the case. The um, so the defensive line, and I watched it. I watched the tape a couple of times, and they got great push on the offensive line. They got, they penetrated, and I yep. thought they did their job. Hargrave, I mean, it's such a pleasure. I mean, I think the defensive line is set for a while. Hargrave had 10 tackles between combined and uh, assisted and solo taxes. So I thought he had a great game. Twoit did, and Hayward did as usual. He had a sack yeah. and did a fantastic job.
1: Yeah, Hargrave's having a breakout year. I agree, the defensive line gets a C for this.
0: So we'll move on to the inside linebackers.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's too much to say. The defensive line's been solid. It's kind of hard to tell how much of these long gash runs have been their fault and how much are they getting pushed around in these fourth quarters. Maybe they need to do a better job of rotating those guys and subbing them out. This has been a problem for a number of years. You thought with the addition of Alulu, uh, you would be able to Manage that number of snaps that to and Hayward have been playing so traditionally for like the past couple years when they both actually are on the field and healthy they play significantly more than any other defensive lineman in the league and you saw it against the Cowboys last year and a few other times where they get tired in the fourth quarter. I think that's still an issue but I wonder how much of that is on you know Butler for need to figure out a better way to rotate but there they did a good job C for the D line. Let's move on to those inside linebackers, like you were saying, who are they're kind of uh, it's streaky,
0: very streaky. Easter um, famine. Vince Williams led the team with six solo tackles and sack a sack and two quarterback hits, so he actually had a pretty good game. I, um, yeah, Shazier was uh, right behind him with five solo tackles, so a little a little more quiet except for his interception.
1: Yeah, he's he's again having a consistent season. Shazier is Superman. He's probably, you know, besides AB, making the biggest difference for the Steelers team. But some of those long runs, he gets sucked up into the middle a little bit. Um, boomer, butt like I said, I'll keep making the Troy analogy. Uh, sometimes makes these enormous plays and sometimes not so great. But let it be clear, he is having a very good season and it shouldn't just be up to Shazier to stop every play. So I, we can give them... A C, maybe a maybe a C plus I would think because Vinnie came through with a pretty good game today or uh, the other day and on his sack it was one of the rare of sacks where he wasn't untouched he actually made a great move on running back so they played pretty well we'll give him a C plus
0: so moving into the outside linebackers uh, T J Watt had another good day uh, he had a sack I think he was touched in route to the quarterback and uh, generally had a good day in pursuit. I have to say, though, Bud Dupree wasn't
1: just unnoticed. Zero tackles, and he got pushed around a lot yesterday. Stiff arm to the face. Bud is worrying me. TJ Watt right now. I mean, Bud sets the edge pretty decently well, but right now TJ Watt is is just making more plays. And Bud, every game, I think three out of four games he's played in, he's had at least one tackle for a loss. TJ Watt, that is. And um, my favorite play from him of the day was when he came through the line. He might have been unblocked or just chipped, but he was one-on-one with Fournette, and he wrapped him up by the leg and took him right down. You'd like to see people making those tackles more, whereas on the opposite side of the line, Bud had the exact same, identical opportunity, and he got stiff-armed to the face as Fournette ran to the outside. So, we're going to give them a C. They're not the playmakers that we're used to from the Steelers outside linebackers, but we've kind of driven that point home by now. Hopefully they keep improving over the course of the season, but not enough big plays from those guys.
0: So as you pointed out, it um, wasn't a lot of passing to protect against. The cornerbacks and safety sort of didn't have a, a body of work for us to judge, but we're going to get yeah. them to see. Mike Mitchell had nine tackles, loved his celebration. On oh, the... yeah, it
1: was great. <laughs> really hyped us, hyped the team up, didn't it? Well,
0: right after they got their first down, that was a great celebration.
1: So annoying. But it is.
0: <laughs> I'm I just... I just think they there's still responsibility for them plugging the holes that uh, the Jaguars seem to find during the game for those long runs. So, again, yeah. what, what I mentioned at the beginning of the show was what was really troubling in the fourth quarter is we had the Jaguars bottled up at the four, at their own four-yard line, at their own two-yard line, and then, boom, Fournette with a 13-yard run, and then they proceeded with 10 more rushes en route to a field goal.
1: Yeah. I think it was even 11. I think it was a 13-play drive where they had 12 runs. And then they kicked a field goal and took off over eight minutes of clock the whole, in the fourth quarter. The whole half of the fourth quarter. So that, to me, is where you've really let your offense down. And why it's so pathetic is because the Jaguars only ran three plays in the third quarter. That is a very small number. I don't know if you realize. but So the Steelers had the ball to end the first half. Then there was a halftime. And then the Steelers got the ball in the second half. The Jaguars were in three plays, been through a couple pick sixes. And the defense generally stayed off the field for a whole quarter. Now, for the Jaguars' offense, going into the fourth quarter, you would think that that would make them a little bit rusty, much like Matt Ryan and the Falcons in that past Super Bowl. And for the defense, you would think, okay, you don't have the I'm tired excuse because you've barely been on the field. And then they go and they run at you 11 times in a row, terrible quarterback no receivers you know that there's no real threat of the pass, and you just let it happen to you and to me that's where the 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 defense really let the team down so this again it's a game of inches man if DeCastro doesn't hold on that touchdown a b maybe you know there's a bunch of different things that could have happened the Steelers did not deserve to win this game by any means of the imagination I'm not saying it's one play that points to any of that but The defense, that was brutal. That drive, backbreaker.
0: So, I will point out another positive is that we got the penalties under control. Five five penalties for 37 yards. You should feel good about that and take that into the next game.
1: Relatively healthy, a very small amount of penalties. You got to take the wins when you can get them. So, because they're not happening on the scoreboard.
0: So, to wrap up, I think you said it earlier. That we've got to. This team has to evolve and change the emphasis from Ben to the other skilled players. Ben has a niche; he can certainly more than manage the team. But the emphasis on the long ball, when you still have the middle of the field, we have to exploit in the running game, uh, is is a mistake and probably an oversight. We've got it. We've got to pivot at this point. You're going into the can. You're going to the Chiefs' backyard next week. Although it is the a night-, night game, and we seem to be doing really well during the night, maybe that'll be our secret f- weapon. I
1: think it's a. 320 game central time. Okay, so, that's 4:30 well, for look.
0: me. So that's that's basically night cuz you know,
1: it's well, that's how it goes. It's almost dinner time. I don't know. Right what I'm talking you. About, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, the Steelers have a lot of talent. They're lucky that they're still healthy, hopefully they can keep that up. Ben has more in the tank. This demise of Ben is fictional. Okay? And I mean that in the sense of the total demise of Ben.
0: Reports um, of his death. Or premature.
1: They are, that's right. But there is no way in God's green earth he's going to come through that locker room door and be the same Ben we saw from two years ago and the years before that. Because those times are over. But he's still capable, I think, as a quarterback. I think he'll be highly motivated to do well this week. I don't think he's going to have a big breakout game because the simple fact that they're on the road. I mean, to me, hopefully if, he can, if the Steelers can establish the run this week, um, they've shown the ability to move the ball in the Chiefs. They beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead recently, so that monkey's off the back a little bit. Um, I think they're in for some trouble, though, and and the Steelers have the ability to morph into a different type of offense. They have talent on defense, so I wouldn't be totally panicked if if I'm a part of Steelers Nation at this point, but I will say this was a big turning point in the season and the Steelers could be in real trouble. They're playing some very good teams over the next part of the season, and they really only can afford a couple more losses. So let's hope that they're able to turn this thing around quickly.
0: Well, with that, I want to thank you for joining Steelers Outpost Podcast. If you have any suggestions or still in beta mode, please drop us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: All right. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully we have good
1: news. Okay. Bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi. Checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you?
0: It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you.